I know we're all pretty small in the big scheme of things. And I suppose the most you can hope for is to make some kind of difference. But what kind of difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me? TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. TGIF indeed. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Mighty glad to have you with us. And glad, as always, of a Friday to be working alongside, even across the miles, from bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today? It's pretty good up here. I can see everything. You're way over there. I got you. You know what? I'll bet he could, too. That's right. Now, are you in the crow's nest, or is that some oblique reference to the Seattle Seahawks? Oh, you're too good. You read my mind. Yes, that's only because they released their 2022 season schedule, and on Monday Night Football, we're going after Russell Wilson. Already. Oh, All right. He's going down. It, it's, it's amazing how they come up with these random games yeah. and pairings when huh. they make these schedules for TV and whatnot, how it just turns out that way. Uh, luck of the draw, I guess. <laughs> There's some little imp, some little devil, some imp. little something imp who's working on that schedule. Well, we are here today to talk to a gentleman who has been with us. This is visit number one. Six. Six visits. Wow. Six visits in the last three years. He's getting to be quite the recurring guest. That's all good news. I'm talking about Daniel Bruce Levin. He wrote a book called The Mosaic. It is something, uh, he might not lay claim to the title, but it certainly deserves to be renowned as a study in depth psychology. And if you don't like the term psychology, how about philosophy? How about the discussion of archetypal philosophy? This is deep stuff, but it's accessible to everyone because that's how the man writes. And we're going to get into some serious metaphysical Q&A today with Daniel Bruce Levin. Suzanne, would you like me to give this man his mad props Why before we begin? We, yes. we do not want to do, fool around and waste honors. this man's time. Daniel Bruce Levin walked away from an opportunity to run a business that was a household name in order to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. The people he met along his journey remind him a lot of the characters in the mosaic. Mr. Levin, a connectivity expert and business leader, works with governmental organizations, corporations, and businesses to improve how people treat themselves and each other. Sharing a message of unification, he is a popular speaker for groups whose focus is on problem solving, innovation, and conflict resolution. Quite a full plate for Daniel Bruce Levin, whom we meet with again today on the air. Daniel, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure it is to see you guys. We have the, we have the um, beautiful added bonus of being able to Zoom with each other so I can actually see your beautiful faces, which means a lot to me. And, uh, I am so happy to see you and so honored that you would have me back for the sixth time. Thank you so much. We, uh, we really have enjoyed being on Zoom. We don't record the video. It, that would take me hours of preparation, but we do record the audio. And it's nice to be able to see our guests the way we do now. So 
Very happy yeah. to see you. I too. accept full responsibilities for that, by the way. Just to add. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get him up to speed here. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, Gary and I were talking about today's interview and I had a thought and Gary said, well, why don't you just go ahead and open with that? And that is that this week I was watching on the news that 1 million people had died from COVID-19. It was marked ceremonially with the lowering of flags to half staff and on the news on several different news uh, programs, they were interviewing many orphaned children who were coping with the loss of their parents from the pandemic. The, the pandemic swept through and in many cases left children without parents. It, it was echoing your book because we knew that we were going to have you on air Friday. And, you know, I said to Gary, this is like the start of the mosaic. The first chapter of the mosaic starts with the death of 13-year-old Moe's father. And so I was thinking how true to life the mosaic is to what is going on in our country and around the world today. And it got me to thinking, why did you start your book with the story of Moe's father's death? Why did why in this in this allegory? Why was that the starting point? Beautiful question. And um, let's take a moment and just really breathe into the fact that a pandemic has swept through the world. Yeah. And one million people, whether it's directly related to the pandemic or the pandemic added on to illnesses that were already there. I was on the edge myself when I came back from Egypt, we went on a cruise to Egypt uh, and helped the leader cruise on the Nile. And when mm. I came back, um, I had a cough and I went to the doctor and the doctor said, why don't you go to the emergency room and have them take x-rays? They ended up taking x-rays. I not only had a cough, I had COVID, I had pneumonia and I had renal failure. Oh my oh, gosh. And there was a moment in time where my wife looked at me and said, this is, I could see you going at this point in time. And I've been pretty cavalier about COVID. I, ha I never, I thought, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not that much. But I was in the hospital for four days and I was on oxygen for some days after that still. Um, so I just want to take a moment and acknowledge what's happened yeah. to not only those orphans that have become, but to our society and our world in general. At, at the new reality that we face. In answer to your question, I think the mosaic, when I look back on it, is really the story of my life, which is not as interesting as, this, as the mosaic, so I don't, I don't categorize it that way. But probably the most um, monumental moments in my life happened with the death of my father and two years later, the death of my mother on exactly the same day at exactly the same time. And I think what happened is it shaped the whole rest of my future. Yes. Because I was given the opportunity as, you know, often in the world as one door closes, another opens wide open. 
and I had the opportunity to, to walk into a business that was a household name. And any kid in the whole world would have been just honored and, and so connected and so thankful for the possibility to go into that and feel that and be given that opportunity. But for me, I looked at what was happening. Everything has a price. And I looked at the price of what would happen to run that business. It was a multi-billion dollar business. And it would, I was gonna be trained over the course of 15 years to take over because the person running it in 15 years wanted to step aside. And what I saw was that friends that he had, that I thought he had, he thought were only his friends because they had money. He had money. And if he didn't have any money, he said, they wouldn't be my friends. His children he spoke to and said that those people aren't interested in you as human beings. They're interested in you because of your last name. And so I said to him, after a year of being with him and watching and observing, which he said was, I couldn't believe you. I didn't just run for the offer and take it immediately. I asked for a year to watch. And I said to him, why would you want to give me the gift of not knowing if people like me for me or just like me because of the money that I have? And why, even if I could get past that, why would you want to give that gift to my children? And he said, this isn't going the way I thought it was going. I said, no, it really isn't. But I don't think that's mine to do because the final question I asked was, I love that you want to start me at the bottom and have me work my way up to the top. That's the most beautiful part of the whole offer. I want to be sweeping a broom. I want to work with the janitors. I want to work with the people from the bottom up. And if I have conversation with them and I ask and I'll ask them, what would they see that would make this business better? Would you allow me to initiate those changes that they that would make their own divisions, their departments better? And he said, Danny, how many billion dollar companies have you started? I said, that's a pretty easy answer. I'm 15 years old, zero. He said, well, then why would you fix something that isn't broken? Just go with what is, don't, you don't need to change everything. And I said, I think we have our answer, don't you? And I walked away from that company. Um, and most of the people in the world think I'm a complete idiot why would someone walk away from running a billion dollar company? But because my mom and dad had passed away, my interest wasn't in how do I make more money? My interest is how do I find the unconditional love I felt for my mom and dad? And I miss that so much. And I just want that. That's the only thing I seek now. And so my dad's passing for me, he was my hero. My dad's passing for me shaped the rest of my life. And so I thought, what a great place to start because sometimes it's in our loss that we have our greatest gain. Mm. And I think that greatest gain came as a result of my mom and dad passing. I have in examining my own life in quiet moments, I have thought to myself that there were a small handful of really significant crossroads, two, three, probably less than, than five times in my life where there was a decision that was absolutely going to 
change my life. I was either going to go one way or I was going to go another way. Yes. And so I, it was not like you, the death of my parents, it was other things. But once you make that choice, then there is a, a domino effect of changes that come about that shape your life completely differently than if you had gone the other way. Yes, I seem to remember there was a movie that came out years and years ago called If. And it was about exactly that, that situation, that mm. what if I would have chosen the other direction? And it has, it has the character, the main character is living his life, but he had, it comes to those crossroads and, and it has him take a moment and reflect what life would look like if he would have gone the other way. But there, there are those moments. I've had many, many, many of them where they are so significant. And sometimes in the moment, they don't seem that significant. I don't know as a 15 year old kid, if I realized the significance of the decision I was making, I would have never had a worry one day for, for anything had I walked into that life. But I would have also lost the ability to have, which is my strongest characteristic, this ability to just love and adore people, this ability to just be deeply connected to them because I know how much their love means to me and how much my love means to them. And I think that in this day and age, one of the things that is really needed more than ever is we're set up in a, we're set up in a culture that is competes with each other. And to find people that care about each other and to find a, a culture of caring or people of caring that care about each other and don't want to just dominate or win or, or be more important than the other. It's, I didn't think it was rare, but I'm starting to see more and more how rare it is. And I like being in that rare air. I like being a person that has chosen to live my life based on the fact that I love and adore people and really want their best interest to happen. That I grow as they grow. You know, I think as a teenager, if you're the least bit open, you are really uh, kind of looking all around uh, at the point where um, you're asking yourself, well, what is life about? And you, you look at all the possibilities and you see that there are just so many things to do. And, and there's such a, a buffet of choices and also there's, there's, um, there's more, I think, more hope, more, um, more positive stuff going on than after, say, you graduate college or you're in your 20s and you start to feel the pressure of needing to take care of yourself, take care of a family, have a career, make a life, get a house, get a car. And then your choices might be different when you are suddenly faced with your survival needs so that had you waited, you might've said, you know, I'll take the job, I'll take the money. Yes. But you were able as a younger person to be more in touch 
with what was important. And that's the kind of wisdom you get at the end of your life as well. And the whole middle part is caught up in, you know, jobs and homes yeah. and cars and, and uh, you know, putting food on the table. And so I think at the beginning of your life, and as you're much older, you, you choose more from your heart than you do from your head. Yeah, but I would really, I, I agree with you. That's the way it seems. But I would, everything about Mosaic challenged me in the belief systems that I have. And so I would love to just invite a challenge to that point of view, because even though that's the way it seems, it doesn't have to be the way it seems. One of the things I realized as I look back on my life now, because I'm 67 years old and I'm, you know, I'm entering that point in my life where you are right. Uh, you know, the idealism of a, of a teenager and the idealism of an older man, a middle-aged man, you know, yeah. But when I look back on my life, I look back and I see that I made decisions all along the way. And the story that I told about those decisions to myself until recently was, gosh, I think you have a com commitment phobia. I, I don't think you can make, I think you have a problem making commitment to something because you do something for a while and you leave. Like I left the day before I was going to be ordained. You know, you, you, you're in something and then all of a sudden you leave to go do something else. And, and I thought, oh my God, I must be commitment phobic. But as I look back now, what I realize is one of my greatest strengths was that when something no longer felt right, I did what, I, I did what felt right. And I didn't want to live my life like so many people do stuck in the same old thing over and over and again where they wake up to do something that they hate doing to support a life that they hate living and i just decided i wanted to do what i love to do and did i pay a price for it financially sure i mean i changed careers so many times um and most of the times i was self-careered most of the times i <laughs> but i walked away I, but i also walked away from I helped grow a business from, from $3 million to $100 million. And you would have thought, boy, that would have been, you know, you would have been in, you're invested in that and you're going to make a lot of money doing that. I walked away from it because the culture of it started to change to a place that I was no longer comfortable in it. We went from being an innocent, really beautiful company to being one that was sort of cavalier now. I remember when we used to sit around and watch the first orders come in on the fax machine. And we would just celebrate and dance. And we were so happy that we had orders. And then later we were saying, we, we get more orders before people wake up than most people get their whole life. And that, that change of, of perspective made me sick to my stomach because I still wanted to have that gratitude and that gratefulness and that, because everything is, everything, Every moment is fresh and new. And we have a choice in every moment. We don't have to get stuck around the desire to feed our family and do it. I've taken, I've taken great liberties to say, I believe in something bigger than me. I don't believe I'm the one that's always doing it. I believe that's the mosaic. The mosaic is all of the pieces coming together to create something so much bigger than what one piece can do on its own. And when I connected the pieces of all those pieces, 
what I found is I was taken care of way better than I could take care of myself. I may not have had all the abundance that a billionaire would have, but I never wanted anything. I never, I never found myself saying, oh, I wish I could have that. It was always there. And so if I can do anything, especially in this time right now, where there's so much confusion and so much angst and so much like what's going to happen now and how are we going to relate to each other and what are we going to do? If I can invite people to just trust, trust in that stillness, inner, in that inner voice and see what it says. I don't want to, we're on, we're on video. And so I can see you smiling at each other. So I'm dying to know how, what I'm saying is relating or not relating <laughs> to what you're, you're like. Well, start anywhere, Gary. I, you know, this is, I'm getting, a, <laughs> if your question is uh, how we're relating to what you're saying, allow me for just a moment to get rabbinical with you. <laughs> Is, is what your philosophy about in terms of unconditional love, being open to people, open to the world at large, open to the cosmos, if you will, yes. in the process of self-discovery and your expression of this philosophy as beautifully contained in the mosaic, does it ever seem dangerous to you to open oh. yourself up that much? Oh, God, yes. You know, but I'm, I'm somewhere along the line, I thought I was intelligent, but I don't, I think God gave me a very good dose of, of unintelligence <laughs> because, because somehow what I just realized is like, people always say to me, Danny, you need to put boundaries around yourself. You need to put, you know, uh, I mean, boundaries are good things they say. But I always saw that the walls that I used as boundaries around myself imprisoned me to the place that I was in. And so I always tried to say, what would happen if instead of boundaries, I just allowed that there's a there's a martial art. I can't ever remember the name of it, where when someone comes at you with force, you just move to the side and you use all the force that they have to to move them, to continue to move them in the in the other direction, you know, in that direction they're going. And it takes the energy of that opposition and makes it your, makes it, puts it to your advantage. I always felt like, what would happen if I could allow things to pass through me rather than block things from coming to me? That I could, that, that I could take all the danger of the world. Like, I love danger. Danger is exciting. It's, it's, it, it's fun to have. You know, it's fun. It, if you always live life safe. It's always a little bit boring. So I love experiencing the danger of what's what, what could happen, but then just ushering it right out the back door. Like I let it come in the front door, I dance with it a little bit, and then I say, welcome to the back door and go on out, that time's up. And, and if I can move that way, then I don't need the boundaries that everybody says I need. Yes. My life, are, you my referring, life is, are you referring to Aikido? Yes, maybe it's Aikido. That's that's what it is. Yes. Yes, that's right. You know, the boundaries give way to boundlessness. Yes. When you do that, when you send energy on its way, you're creating flow. A hundred thousand percent. And so 
I've always found that I don't believe what the world believes. And it makes total sense that the world believes in boundaries. Like there are oftentimes I think, Danny, you should have some boundaries. This is crazy what's going on. But I love Aikido because I love that idea of just taking the energy and letting it move right through me. And do I mess up sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I, I suck at that sometimes. But on the other hand, the times that I am able to do it, I just feel free. It feels beautiful. It feels in sync. It feels in flow. It feels alive. It feels dangerous. It feels risky. It feels fun. And sometimes it stays. I have pain in my body as a result of it. Sometimes it stays with me. And I have to figure out how to surrender that to that force that moves through me. With so much going on in the world and in our individual lives, I really take to heart what you're saying today, Daniel, because we've all had those moments and it would be a very rare person who only had them once or twice in a lifetime where we have to decide how it's going to be. And if it's going to be, it's going to involve me because I am an individual with a conscience and a consciousness. I have to decide how I am going to interact with the world on principle, not just in this or that circumstance, but as a habit of mind, if you will, in order to do no harm, but also to take from this earth, from this earthly experience, only as much as I, with a sense of balance, am willing to contribute in return. And sometimes balance happens because I take the initiative. Yeah, and sometimes balance is with one side way up in the air and the other side just almost touching the ground, but the fulcrum point still balances it. We think balance is 50-50 all the time. Sometimes balance is 95-5 because the balance point is strong enough to come underneath that 5% and balance it. And I just, one of the things that I found that I do in my own life that I'd like to invite people to do is have the courage to question your own beliefs. Oh, yes. And why does that seem like an act of courage as opposed to inquisitiveness? That goes back to, you know, what about all of this is dangerous? Yes, because, because we, I mean, I don't know what we want to do. I can only tell you from my own experience. Right. It, it takes tremendous courage for me to give up what I believe in. Yep. Because I've, I've invested so much time and energy in it. And I yeah. think this is what I'm doing. And, you know, to walk away one day before I was ordained after spending five years in the seminary, that takes courage. People look at you and say, what are you doing? That's stupid. Why don't you, why don't you just get your ordination? You just had to stay another couple of hours there. Just take the test and be ordained. But it no longer felt like it was integrity to me to do that. And to follow that integrity and to walk with it wherever it leads is, is the most beautiful thing that I've experienced in my life. Question your own beliefs. I want to pick up on that when we come back. But in the meantime, we're going to take our quick halftime break. We are talking with Daniel Bruce Levin, author of The Mosaic, and friend of the show now for his sixth visit. More questions on the other side. And thank you for listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk AM 1150. We'll be right back. 
Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Daniel Bruce Levin, a soft-spoken philosopher of our times and author of The Mosaic, an allegory about life's journey. On Saturday, Kim Manor returns to talk about the science of making things happen. Use scientific principles to achieve your goals. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our visit, our sixth visit with Daniel Bruce Levin, author of The Mosaic in all its archetypal glory. Great stuff whenever we talk with Daniel. By the way, Daniel, I think that this is the second, at least the second time we've used that song so, and Benny sent you a note. Great choice, Suzanne. All right, that makes it official. It will become, for Manson Mitchell show purposes, the Daniel Bruce Levin theme song. Whenever I love it. it. I love it. <laughs> Wonderful. Beautiful music, beautiful philosophy, beautifully written by Daniel. Daniel, tell us what is going on in the uh, hard scrabble world of absolute marketing genius there's so much marketing going there's so much selling in the world buying and selling and trading and you have a message that transcends all that but you do live in the real world of dollars and cents what is it that you would like our listeners to know how can they get in touch with you and avail themselves of all the wisdom that you offer that's so kind of you to ask i they can go to danielbrucelevin.com that's the easiest place to go or the mosaiconline.com but one of the things that I'm really, we were talking in the break, one of the things that has happened for me in general right now is I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot, a lot of people over the course of my life. I've had the opportunity to listen to a lot of stories that people tell me. 
I've had a lot of chance to hear how businesses brand themselves and how corporations talk about who they are. And I have to honestly say, I'm not very impressed with what I've seen. Most of the time, the stories that people tell are factual stories. Let me give you an example. I created a clothing line some years ago. Um, the clothing line was organic cotton with uh, recycled poly. When we used that, it was all made in America. It it was it had um, words printed printed on them for the first time. In, the, in those days, words were not on clothing. And that would have been such an easy story to tell. And that's the story that most people tell because organic cotton was new, recycled poly was new, words on clothing was new, not sending them over to China to get produced was new, keeping them in the US. But that isn't a story, those are just facts. There was a story that I told about a man by the name of Masuro Emoto who did a study with water. And he wrote positive words on a piece of paper and sat a glass of water on top of those, those words. And what he found was the frequency of the water changed based on whatever word he put on there. But every time the word was positive, there was beautiful geometric patterns that came through the water when it was frozen. They could see these geometric patterns that were beautiful, each individualized to the word that was written on. And every time the word was negative, they saw distorted images. They saw whole, big holes in the, in, the, in the water image that was created. And so I said to him, I brought him to Hay House at the time when I was working there. And I said to him, first of all, we should publish your works, but, but, which we ended up doing. But then why would you have to put words on a underneath a glass of water? We're made up of 87% water. What would happen if we wore clothing with words on them, positive words, affirmations? And he said, Danny, it would change the molecular structure of people's bodies. So I said, do you mind if I share that story with people and share your work with people through that story? He said, Danny, I would love that. Well, now that's a story that captures the imagination of people. I never said that it was going to heal people. I don't know if it was going to work. I believe that it was. But that's a story that gets people thinking, wow, maybe if I bought this, I would feel better. That's in addition to the organic cotton. That's in addition to made in America. That, those aren't factual things. That's a story. And what I'm really developing right now in my own life is I realized I'm a storyteller. Everybody's always said I'm a storyteller. I know I'm a storyteller. And so I want to try and, and work with corporations and businesses and individuals to help them create a story that captures the imagination of people rather than just the factual data. Everybody tells factual data. That's not interesting anymore. What's interesting is how what happens. Einstein said the most powerful quality we have is our imagination. How do you capture the imagination of a people through the stories that we tell? COVID certainly caught it with the story. Whoever wrote the story for COVID had a, had a great storyteller, right? Because it took something that 
seemed to be insignificant. People didn't seem like they were they were hurting. Now you tell us a million people have died. That's a that's a big story, right? Yeah. But in the in the early days, it didn't seem like it was it it was contagious. It was spreading. It was doing it. But people seemed like they were doing okay. I mean, there were people that were going through stuff, but the mess. It could have been. Can you imagine if that was really uh, lethal? What would have happened with the contagiousness of it? But somebody told the story that really caught the world, and the world went on hold. What's the story you're telling? What imagination does it bring? What does it allow people to see that they can't see right now? Why are you important? I love the first piece that you've played. You know, who am I? I'm just this little person. How, what, what chance do I have to make a significant impact? But the story of the mosaic is all these little pieces coming together on their own can't have much impact. They're beautiful. They're going to have some impact. But when they all come together as a mosaic, the impact is so much greater. So it's time, the story of the mosaic is it's time for us to come back together. It's time for us to put away all this callousness and smallness of our of heart that says you're different from me because your skin color is this way. You pray in this church. You have only this amount of money. You live in this country. You live behind that border. You practice this religion. You don't practice that religion. You have, you, you know, whatever. You, you work this type of job. Your hair is short. Your hair is long. I mean, all the ways that we separate, it's just obnoxious already. The beauty of a mosaic is it's made up of every single different color, every shape, every size. And it's beautiful together. It was meant to be beautiful together. We were meant to come together. It's time for us to see what's what's similar and i don't want to just ramble on but let's let's break there and if i have a chance i'll come back and say what i found was similar that's fine daniel let me ask you this when you look to the extent that you watch the news i watch it quite a bit every day and i can tell you without exaggeration and i'm really not seeking hyperbole here because we're on the air and i want to make a point i really am starting to feel this way i can't easily recognize the world that i live in compared to the world into which i was born and of which i was conscious in my childhood my adolescence my early adulthood or as you and I are with a wink and a nod agreeing our, our age, which is the same, if that constitutes some kind of middle age, I don't know. <laughs> it does. I don't know. I think maybe we're kind of giving ourselves a little too much credit at that point. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I are in the same boat, buddy. When I look at this world today, and I said this to Suzanne yesterday after watching a few stories on the evening news, I don't recognize this place. I don't recognize this earth. I don't recognize this society anymore. And it makes it pretty darn difficult to navigate through a day when you don't really know where you are anymore. And yeah, I'm wondering exactly. if you have those moments as well. I, I, I pretty much stopped watching the news, not because uh, I, I'm not interested in what's going on, but I'm just not interested in what's going on the way it's being. The story that's being told, I'm not interested in. Because what I'm really interested in is we just moved from a uh, 
uh, the house that I lived in for 20 years by the beach into a house close to the desert. What happened when we moved also is we moved from a highly democratic area to a highly Republican area. I mean, on the street corners are people with flags saying all sorts of nasty things about Biden. And, you know, the, I mean, I, I don't even know where I live anymore. I don't even know what, the, what, what it's like. But when I take a moment to stop and I don't identify as Democrat or Republican and I just sit and talk with people, one of the things that I find is that people are so genuinely beautiful. And when I found that I had COVID and I was in the hospital, absolute strangers came out of nowhere. It didn't matter what color my skin was, what political party I belonged to, how much money I had or didn't have. People were genuinely so kind to me and my family. And they took time to send their love and their prayers and their blessings and their and and gifts. For what? I mean, what did I do? I didn't do any. I haven't done anything. There was no reason for them to be that kind to me, but they were. And so the reason I don't watch the news is because the world that it shows me is not the world that I know when I sit face to face with another human being. And that's what I've. Before COVID came, I was going to go out on the road and I was going to film myself on street corners and boardrooms and in bookstores and hospitals and prisons and places where people love and places where people hate, just talking to people and listening to people. Because I wanted people to see what real people do when they sit down together. And when we sit down together, yeah, we might find differences and we might say, oh, you're, you know, we don't like what you believe. But when we can sit together and say, what can we find something we share in common? And of all the people that I've talked to, and I must have had about a million conversations over the course of my life, I always wanted to know what brought people together because I was taught how to walk into a perfect room perfect room and find 10 things wrong with it in 30 seconds. And the person who taught me that said, when you work with corporations, that's gonna be an important quality for you have. They're gonna to wanna to know how, can you see what's wrong and can you fix it? But what they didn't tell me is when you have relationships with people, how messed up that belief system is. Because it doesn't stop just in corporations. I look at a person and I see, I can see 10 things wrong with them instead of a hundred things right with them. And so I wanted to know what made us love each other. And what I found is people answered one of these three things, but more likely all three of them. People wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be seen and acknowledged. And I realized I could give that to people. That's the easiest thing in the whole world. It's way easier for me to love you than to hate you. It's way easier for me to see you than to make pretend you're not there. And it's way easier for me to listen to you than to say, nah, blah, 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 I'm not listening. Right? Why would I do that? And when I did that, what I didn't realize and what I didn't even come to, to, to know is that people's walls came down because they felt safe. When they felt loved and accepted, listened to and heard, 
and seen and acknowledged, they had no reason to protect themselves anymore because they felt genuinely cared for. And in that moment, miracles started to happen. New business opportunities came, new friendships were made, new relationships were formed, new health was discovered because all the walls that we put up to protect ourselves also keep all the blessings from coming in. And when those walls come down, whoa, wow, all of a sudden, the, all the stuff is here. And we're able to love and be loved. We're able to feel and, and be felt. And so, and the people that taught me that were the simplest people in the world. And those are the people with the mosaic. They were the common people. They weren't the, they weren't the holy men and women. They, they spoke a beautiful thing. But when I sat with the homeless man and I sat with the street worker and I sat with the, the farmer and I sat with the gardener and the waitress and the, and the um, juice maker, and I just sat and listened to those beautiful people tell me their stories. I realized who they were was not who I was seeing when I walked up first. And once I realized that what I was seeing was not what is, then I looked and said, where else am I not seeing what is? Do I see what is with the person that I hate that I'm trying to, that I disagree with because they have a different point of view than I have? No, clearly I don't. And if I take time to sit with them, they did, they did an experiment. And I, I know I'm rambling on here. I hope I'm okay. They did an experiment where they took in, in when Hillary Clinton was running for president and Trump was running for president. They took 20 people that were Hillary Clinton supporters in California and 20 people from Arkansas that were Trump supporters. And they brought them together into a room. And you could imagine at first there was fireworks. But before that, they asked them, what do you believe about these people? And the Clinton people said about the Arkansas people, uh, the Trump people, oh, you know, they're they marry their own kin, they're, they're retarded, they don't have any education, they just are, go shoeless around, you know, they live on farms, they don't have, they, they carry guns. And the Arkansas people said, the Trump people said, of the California people, oh God, they hug trees and they kiss, they, 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 all they care about is the environment, there's messing up all the economy, they don't really care about anything, it's hard to know what they really care about because they just are so liberal that their brains, their minds are so open, their brains are falling out. They brought the 20 people together from each side and put them in a room. And they said, let's just sit and talk with each other. Of the 40 people that were in the room, three of them maintained the same beliefs that they had when they came in. They didn't change. But what's re really beautiful is 37 of them realized that what they thought was just absolutely not true. They became friends with one another. They actually created a Facebook group so they could stay in touch with each other, so they could communicate with each other and be with each other. And I thought, that's what the world needs, not more newscasts that tell us how separate we are. We need to just get back to the place where you and I grew up, where we had the courage to just walk on the streets and say, hey, how are you doing? 
And we sat on our porches and we just talked to everybody and we yelled at them and they yelled at us and we loved them at the end and we hugged them and we said, hey, come and let's have dinner together. Because those are, that's who we really are. That's the mosaic. That's the feeling of mosaic. That's the, that's the contagious virus that I want to spread around the world today. A virus where we love each other where we find similarity in each other. A healthy contagion. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned right before the break and you actually returned to this topic now about questioning your own beliefs when you put the beliefs of 40 people in the room. And it seems like the opportunity was given for those 40 people to question their beliefs about the people who were unlike them I have found myself on an occasion changing a belief that I held dearly, or at the very least, understanding why somebody feels so differently than I do about a topic. And it does shake you up a little bit to, yeah. to, to realize the thing that I thought, maybe I don't want to think that anymore. Yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't work for me. And it, it especially didn't work for me personally. Beliefs that I held about myself kept me living a very particular life. And when I said, I'm going to change this one thing, I don't know why I think that particular belief, I don't know where it came from or why I think it, but I don't really want to think that anymore. And then that was at a point where Gary and I were able to get together because it wasn't a thought about how I wasn't going to find anybody. You know, then I, I said, well, who decided that? Where did that thought come from? You know, it was something that I knew to be true. It was a belief that I, I knew to be true. And, and when you start questioning your own beliefs, especially ones that don't really serve you, you really create an opening for something that the universe can give you like a gift. Yes. I remember some years ago, I realized, and when I say I realized, and I, I wish I realized 100%, I don't mean to say I'm anything more than I am because I am what I am. I still do the same thing today. But when I realized, once I realized that my beliefs were not facts, yes, beliefs, yes. Right? Yes. But I, I thought they were facts just because I believed them they were true. Right. But it's just it, that may, they may be true and they may not be true and they may be true for me and not true for you. Yeah. And, and it's so beautiful when my wife and I were talking just yesterday and she said to me, you have a quality that I really admire. I said, really, what's that? And she said, you allow people the luxury of having their own belief system. They have every right to believe whatever they want to believe. Mm -hmm. And you honor that. Yeah. You don't try and force them to believe something that you believe. And that's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful quality. And I said, thank you. That, and, and, and it's true that like, once we realize that everybody has the right to believe what they want to believe, and we give them that right to believe it, and we can love and accept them. In my, in my million of conversations, 
where people wanted to be loved and accepted, listened to and heard and seen and acknowledged, not one of them said to me, Danny, I need you to believe like I believe. Not one of them. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <clears throat> if there is an archetype for our time, one that perhaps is not included in the mosaic, it may be borrowed from someone else, it may be one you're working on, Daniel. Do you see an emerging archetype with the welter of issues that seem so oppressive from Ukraine to inflation to COVID to all the worries of a million souls? Is there a current archetype emerging that helps to explain the need to unite around some common principle of decency, of humaneness that anyone can use if they stop, look, and listen? Beautiful question. Beautiful, beautiful question. I wish I had an answer for you. I don't see it. I do see the mosaic as a, as a, as a being, as a living being on its own, mm -hmm. of being that, of being able to embrace all the pieces of what we have in the world and bringing them together to create something. But I don't see, perhaps you have, and the question you might have also an archetype that you're thinking of. I would love to hear if you do, because that's a beautiful, beautiful question. The one I would suggest to you, Daniel, in our last minute together is the wounded healer. The people, I believe, the people who are going to do some of the most salient things to heal this planet, to heal whole societies, are going to be those who take the biggest risk of being wounded, of being killed, let's be honest, in order to provide healing for all the rest. People who are willing to put themselves out there, and I say this very quickly here, but the lady on Russian television who was behind the news anchor and held up the sign indicating that you are being lied to, to stand right behind her with that cardboard sign and then to be taken into custody. I don't know her fate at this hour, but I don't have that kind of courage, and I find it remarkable that anybody would. Yes, yeah. Um, I love that last story you just told. We're going to have to end on that, Daniel, because we are out of time. But you know what? We have our first subject for our next, next conversation on air. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for having me. And All we will right. update that as well. Thank you. Daniel Bruce Levin, author of The Mosaic. If you don't own this book already, make it a gift to yourself and to someone you love. Thanks so much for listening to us today. We'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on AM 1150, with another edition of Manson Mitchell. Have a great weekend, everyone.